Uh, welcome to Millions of Screens, IndieWire's TV industry-focused podcast. I'm creator producer Leo Garcia, joined via Zoom by TV awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. That's right, we're all still shelter at home and are self-quarantined in our apartments. On today's episode, we'll be talking about some of the biggest streaming hits of the spring, and Libby will walk Ben and I through the current state of the Emmy season. And as always, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that all this television industry stuff is trivial and that there's incredibly serious stuff happening uh, elsewhere in the world. But this is something just to maybe take your mind off the growing pandemic. Television, as it were, is melting Ben's brain, but making him feel good about it. Is that what you said, Ben? I don't remember the good about it part. <laughs> I think it's like helping you survive, but melting your brain. Yeah. Yeah. It's a dependency and uh, it's a distraction. Th- those are both probably bad things, though. It is a millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. So, skipping ahead to the clicker. Now, these aren't really news items, these are more just sort of thoughts. Uh, <laughs> disagree. Well, Ben, this sort of stems from you interviewed Kevin Bacon and Kobe Smulders last week. And when you asked them what they've been binging, both of them, the first thing they responded with was Tiger King. And Tiger, we've seen Tiger King uh, sort of become this viral sensation. Uh, everyone is posting about it on Twitter. Uh, it's essentially become the first hit of the spring streaming wise. Am I wrong? No, I think so. I think it's become that kind of that first hit in the sense that even though there's less water cooler conversation than ever right now. Uh, the the buzz factor remains in that this seems to invade every corner of the discussion. Like it's on the late night shows. They're making jokes about it, you know, while, while they're sitting at home and recording from their backyard. Um, it's uh, popping up in regular news reports. Every outlet that can figure out a way in is covering it because people are watching it and they want to know more about this very strange Netflix documentary about uh, people who raise, breed, live with tigers in various American locations, and then do other wild shit. Um, you had you had someone at my bookie reach out to you about the the odds uh, of Joe Exotic receiving a presidential pardon. I gotta say, I've been really impressed with our uh, gambling industry's response to the pandemic because they are finding every outlet they can to make new wagers. Like, I've gotten the email about Tiger King. I got an email about betting on uh, what happens in Ozark. Um, it's it's all over the map. I would say I would say the gambling industry and the pornography industry oh, yeah. have both been. Pornhub has been on it. I on s- it. I've. I mean, you guys know this because you were on the the chain, but I feel like I missed my calling. I would have been an amazing Pornhub PR person. <laughs> Absolutely, I think offering to stream all the films for from the con, the canceled Cannes Film Festival, was very thoughtful and like very forward thinking for Pornhub. Um, it's, the official letter to the a... president of the Cannes Film Festival saying, "Hey, we're gonna we'll host your your films." So beautiful. I guess so beautiful. Idea. I think that's very short-sighted that they didn't consider it a little bit longer than they did. Ben, we got we got way off track here. Uh, <laughs> but you were mentioning how Tiger King is sort of permeated throughout the the cultural zeitgeist. Yeah, it's uh, become this year's uh, wild wild country, which um, maybe even more so, honestly, uh, in just the sense that you can't seem to escape it. Um, it was one of those where I didn't even watch the screeners in advance and by the time i'd gotten around to them pretty much everybody had already devoured it and progressed the conversation on to what's next um but yeah no it's it's definitely becoming 
kind of the cultural talking point of, of the times. Yeah, this is one of those things where it's, I, I hear you say that, uh, you know, Kevin Bacon, Kobe Smulders are watching it. I did several Zoom calls with family members this weekend. Uh, my, my, like, my immediate family, Emily, my wife talked to her, her sister, everyone asked us about Tiger King, like across the board. These are people all over the middle of America, um, various socioeconomic brackets. Like this is all people want to talk about. Um, it's like the world's longest uh, snow day. And yet somehow everyone's watching the same thing. Uh, so before we move on to the next clicker topic, uh, do we want to talk briefly about Tiger King Emmy odds? Uh, it could happen, I guess. I I don't think it will happen. Uh, I feel like that the docu series kind of is always a very competitive category. Uh, I don't think anyone should hold their breath on it, especially the more time passes the more flaws become apparent about uh the production and um some of the things that took place some of the representations of people involved um so i'm gonna go low to no emmy odds for low tiger no. king but uh yeah that's just my gut right now let me i'll make a sandwich bit with you right now that tiger okay. king gets nominated okay I feel, like the, I feel like that category is skewing populist along with a lot of the rest of the Emmys um, in a way where we've seen Wild Wild Country become very, very successful. Our Planet won last year. Ozark season three. Ben, a yep. return to form? <laughs> Giggles. <laughs> Smiles. Uh, yeah, more or less, I'd say it's a, it's a much improved season. Um I was rather critical of season two after being a big fan of season one. Um, I still feel like this is a complicated show to talk about in the sense that everybody kind of brings their own assumptions into it. Um, I don't think of it as a, a show that's really trying to recreate some of the anti-hero dramas of the past so much as I think of it as a show about two doomed people who were just watching them scramble to survive. Um, and with that in mind, a lot of what, what, keeps me hooked on ozark is the momentum of it and that's why season two where it got very heavy into kind of political maneuverings and talking through various points and kind of recruiting people without actually taking any action that thing got very slow and repetitive and you kind of see that they were stalling um whereas season three it it picks things up it jumps ahead six months right at the start um it sets everybody up in very specific dynamics it invites a couple of new characters into the game without allowing their stories to completely overwhelm the core of of the show, which is uh, Wendy and Marty Bird, played by Laura Linney and Jason Bateman, navigating you know this giant money laundering scheme for a Mexican cartel, and at the same time trying to repair a marriage that was damaged long before they had to move from Chicago to the Ozarks. Um, so yeah, I think season three is pretty solid. I'm really curious to see um kind of how the awards folk react to it and what kind of um what kind of emmys we can expect to see for ozark considering it did well uh in its first season improved in its second season so it's on a trajectory to kind of keep gaining uh attention from various 
various voting groups within the TV Academy. But um, but yeah, no. As as far as just a a good thing to binge right now, if you can handle it, then by all means. Do you see it repeating either of the awards it won last year? Uh, on my end, I think it's hard to win supporting actress in a drama series twice in a row. That's just a really challenging category. So um, as as much as Julia Garner is liked by people and as much as um, you know her win was kind of a surprise last year, I think it'd be just a, a difficult thing to do to go back to back. And then uh, kind of the same thing with directing. I, I think they were very eager to give uh, Jason Bateman an award for Ozark last year and uh, that kind of fit the bill especially considering the the rather um, the rather overt backlash against it online by by certain critics in terms of the lighting and and the cinematography and the general darkness of the show um, so I don't necessarily expect to see that trend happen again but if it can expand where it's nominated i think that would be like it's it's overall nomination count i think that would be a big win in and of itself for netflix i'm going back and looking at the uh supporting actress in a drama and the only person to have done it in recent uh memory was anna gunn for breaking bad and her portrayal of the much maligned skylar uh white and then before her it was blythe danner who won twice in a row for her role on Showtime's Huff. What? <laughs> yep. Everybody remembers Huff. Yeah. That's Hank Azaria, right? Is that, is that right? Yeah. 2005 through 2007, uh, supporting actress in a drama was won by Blythe Danner, Blythe Danner, and then Catherine Heigl. And they both played characters named Isabel Izzy. I will say I have not caught up. I've not caught up with uh, Ozark season three, but I will say that I agree with your point, Ben, that like the, the most interesting points of season one were sort of like the uh, the mouse in the tub of cream, you know, just struggling to get out and, and turning the cream to butter. Like that's that's what was very fun about season one. The one thing I'd say, too, just about Ozark that kind of surprised me in the third season was that first season, one of the big hooks, at least to me, was just how they talked about the money laundering. Like it felt like not an education in it, but very much a look at these practical steps in which we can get this done. Um, kind of look at the forethought that Marty Bird specifically as an accountant has to be able to do this kind of thing. And at the very start of season three in the first episode, he has this kind of quick little monologue explaining the statistics of why he thinks an FBI agent is most likely watching them. And you can see how much he likes that and how much those numbers comfort him. And it's like, okay, they're going to get back to this. They're going to do more of that in season three, but they haven't really touched that either. I don't know if they kind of have just gone through a lot of those mechanics and can't repeat them, um, or if they're hesitant to kind of create more challenges without it, uh, challenges that they can describe that way without it, you know, moving the plot in a way they don't want to go. But that's still one of those elements that made season one, I think, very interesting for people and that they haven't gone back to the well on. We should probably move on to the biggest uh, the biggest piece of news that hit last week, literally the evening after we recorded our podcast, where we uh, sort of speculated about what the Academy uh, might do about the Emmys. Uh, they released a press release that was uh, embargoed until the following morning. Uh, Libby, you had to write about it, essentially where they're compressing the schedule, sort of canceling all FYCs, but they haven't changed the date of the ceremony as of yet. They 
are. They are. They they are compressing the schedule, but leaving the ceremonies intact. It's an interesting choice that they've made. Um, they are hanging. F- they are uh, holding firm on keeping the uh, ceremonies, creative arts, obviously, and primetime Emmy ceremonies as scheduled in September. But everything else, they're giving a little bit of leeway. Specifically, uh, the Television Academy has revised the entry deadline from May 11th to June 5th. So they're bumping it back and giving people a full uh, a full month extra. I will note with that 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 is not an extension of the eligibility period. Um, all eligible shows need to have been made uh made available to the TV Academy voters by May 31st still. Um, But they have more time to enter things. Uh, After that, then nomination, the first round of nomination voting begins uh, July 2nd, which is two weeks later than it was originally scheduled. And things move on from there. But the windows between events, like the end of voting, the announcement of nominations, the beginning of this final round of voting, like... The gaps between them are, are significantly smaller than they were originally scheduled. So over time, the season is, is uh, allowed to catch up with the original schedule and, and the calendars eventually um, align at the end, allowing theoretically for a September 22nd primetime Emmy ceremony live on ABC. But we'll see. So, so essentially they just truncated phase one and phase two slightly right um except phase two runs through voting and um you know basically begins the moment that nominations are that nominations are announced they are basically losing two weeks between the nominations and the beginning of final round voting that's a loss of two weeks for phase two campaigning for those people who were nominated for emmys that will hurt but when industry leaders went to speak to the Television Academy about changes, about getting adjustments to the schedule, one of the things that they were lobbying for was for FYC season to stay open into phase two. Now, currently, for your consideration events have been altogether suspended. No live streaming, no uh, tape delay, nothing. Um so it's going to be very interesting what things look like once the show gets back on the road. Um, if it's just going to be a free for all, I really don't think we're going to come to June and suddenly be fine going to like something like an, uh, a Netflix FYC space. Um, I don't know that people are, are going to be champing at the bit to um, be really close together in uh, for an FYC panel. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be difficult. Like, I, I saw a tweet the other day, like, Kumail Nanjiani was like, I don't think I'm ever going to shake a hand again. And, like, right. I think like I think there's going to be an element of, like, if, there, if this is under control by then, uh, it's still going to be a slow, uh, a slow walk back into what was normalcy. We weren't, we weren't going to go back to, like, here's right. 250 people in a tight space. I was thinking, I was thinking the other day about uh, when we went to see um, Springsteen and Scorsese in conversation. And I remember, like, it feels like everyone at IndieWire got 
a, a pass to get in there. And we were practically sitting on each other's laps because they had crowded so many people into this space. Um, now I have nightmares on, about that, like in this current climate. Um, so it's just, it's, it's hard to imagine before the public health event and after the public health event and how we ever come to a point where they, they coexist, but you know, eventually sports will start up. Eventually people will go to arenas to, to watch, um, to watch games or plays or concerts. I just, I don't know how, but yeah, I'm really excited about the handshaking thing and ideally the hugging thing reserved for only actual close friends and not just people I see. I guess a, uh, a question from uh, someone who's new to the, to the industry, H- how does this truncated and maybe no FYC events affect potential nominations and winners? Like do the bigger networks stand a better chance of getting things nominated or does it even the playing field in a weird way? It's definitely interesting. And, and, and it will remain to be seen. Um, there's going to need to be a lot of hustle out there because there is, uh, there's only so much time and God knows there's only so much money, but without a fully interactive FYC space or without a, um, Amazon taking over the Hollywood athletic club, whatever um it's different and and you won't see as big a difference between something like pop pushing Shit's creek or you know let's say um amazon pushing mazel i mean you'll still see some difference every billboard is going to be for mrs mazel um they'll still send out customized hat boxes and sell gasoline for 15 cents but Ben, the billboards go. are already up. Exactly. It's terrifying. Um, There's so well, many of them. I've seen at least four. How? You're not supposed to leave your house. Are I they know, just? This, are they in was, your apartment? Well, right. I'm right in the heart of of Hollywood, and yeah. there's uh, there's billboards pretty much no matter what direction I walk in. And what's weird is the ones that have changed and the ones that haven't. Like there's still a BoJack Horseman final season billboard that's been up since December. Um, and there's, I've seen bus stop ads and stuff for shows that have stopped airing at this point. Um, and yet there's at least two new billboards for what we do in the shadows, which went up time to the, you know, the new season coming out. So there's like a couple that are still getting turnover and others. They're like, well, I I don't know if they're not selling. I don't know if they're just happy to keep that up there longer. I don't know if they made some sort of deal to hold it at at a discounted rate, but, um, but yeah, like there's. The, the marketing itself right now is, is different than it's been in the past and how they approach that for Emmy shows will have to be different too. This could be a very strange sort of like Emmy nomination pool based on what was seen during quarantine. Like, it's is there possible. A chan- is there a chance that Academy, Academy voters are watching way more than they have in previous years? Possibly, or it's <laughs> possible. Like we talked about this last week, like, you know, are, you, are all these people going to sit down and watch The Wire for the first time? No, probably not, because time wasn't really what the the, the barrier was there. Uh, time wasn't really the barrier for why my apartment's not clean. And uh, time is not really the barrier for why TV Academy members don't watch their screeners. Uh, sorry to say. So it'd be great to believe that this will suddenly lead to... A, 
a brand new insightful academy, but I don't know. It's very strange because I think the biggest loss uh, for Emmy season during this period is not the FYC events so much. It's, it's just that there's no conversation. There's no way to talk about these things that we love. Um, there's no way to advocate for it really. Cause it, 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 it feels silly and shallow a little bit. And it, it is a great unknown. Um, so it just, everything feels like wild speculation. Um, it's a tough spot to be in. It's exciting in the way that, you know, I don't know what the world looks like on the other side of this, but um, I guess we'll all find out together. In September. Ben? ben? Well, and, and to go along with those, uh, the idea of wild speculation, I wanted to ask, before these announcements were made, before the, the calendar changed, um, you noted that, you know, you didn't expect the TV Academy to announce anything or to make any big changes until they kind of had a better grasp of what was going on and what needed to be done. And so far, these changes, they felt like, you know, they were very smart and that they weren't trying to extend eligibility deadlines in order to make sure that the shows that were going to come out in May would get a chance to compete this year, you know, because they don't know how long this is going to keep going. Right. So there's that's that would be a, that would have been a pretty silly thing to do. Um, but in the, in the broader terms, how long do you think this would have to continue for them to make other changes? Like, do you expect if, if we're still staying at home, is there going to be another announcement made in a month and two months? Um, do you have any idea of, of what we might expect in terms of, you know, or what would have to happen for them to change the ceremony date? You know, I, uh, the announcements that they made last week definitely felt like sort of stopgap measures. Um, things that they were going to, or self-explanatory things like the FYC situation. Um, that's just like that taking that off the table for now, suspending them so they don't get emails 17 times a day asking questions, um, that's a good move. Uh, fiddling with the calendar in minor ways that don't change eligibility, but change uh, don't really change rules. They tweak the hanging episodes, which is always in flux. Um, that's good. and But most of it is just kind of tweaking. I gotta say, um, the president didn't say that we're probably in for another month of social distancing until after these Academy announcements came out. So I don't think they took into consideration necessarily that we would all sort of be sheltering in place until May. And um, that's a really long time. And so I got, I mean, at this point, I'm not surprised if we are all still zooming in for the podcast come April 30th, then yeah, I think we get another announcement from the, uh, from the television Academy and, and they, they start talking about moving things significantly because everyone else is going to do it too. Uh, we just can't expect life to go back to any approximation of normal for some time. Well, moving on to some of the brighter things in there are life. brighter things? Quibi launches on April 6th. That's is right. Brighter? That's is right, the... folks. That's right, folks. Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg Whitman's $2 billion, I don't Baby. know, cluster F Quibi launches April 6th. Libby, 
We now have the full slate of shows. We've seen all the trailers. And have we? Have we seen all the trailers? Oh, have we not? <laughs> is there a, is there a special a show that's launching on the 6th that we we don't know about? No, I just haven't watched them. Oh, there's no Libby on Quibi. There's no Libby. There's no surprise drop of Libby on Quibi. I haven't been gaslighting you this entire time. Um, I'm starting to think it, it, it won't happen before launch. Um, maybe, maybe it's a, maybe it's in a phase two Quibi. They, they could give me a show. Um, I mean, they're offering a 90 day, a 90 day free trial. Maybe once that trial is done and a lot of people drop out of their subscription, that's when Quibi Hill launches. Or when they drop all their cash, they're like, oh man, I can't go without Quibi. I got to give them, what are we going to do with this money? We're going to give Libby her own show. Millions of Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation and IndieWire. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video, Bjork Talking About Our TV, and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brightson, our publisher is James Israel, and our executive editor is Anne Donahue. You can find us on Twitter at A Million Screens, at Midwest Spitfire, at Ben T. Travers, and at Leo Adrian Garcia. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. So leave a review and let us know what you think. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo. Remind you, as always, that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs>